Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Conqueror Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings found in the book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We boldly confess this truth of the entirety of God's inerrant word, nothing more, nothing less. And we do it all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We begin our study of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with the first articles on God and original sin. It's very simple. Who, are, who is God and who am I? We are blessed with two studies on the historical background and the theological implications of those days, and also for today with the Apology with Dr. John Maxfield from Concordia University in Edmonton, and also Dr. Ryan McPherson from Luther Classical College in Wyoming. And I encourage you, our listeners, that if you have questions about the history, not only to look at the reader's edition and what it has to say, but these two scholars gave us all the meat and potatoes we need to start us off, to catapult us, actually, into the theology of this confessional document. And so we start over. Who is God and who are we? The Concordias were in agreement with the Catholic Church concerning the Trinity, but then the rubber hit the road when it was with original sin. They sounded very similar. They agreed with one another in general, but there is important aspects of this that we make sure we get right. Article 2 might not be as motivating of a doctrine in the Christian church, but it is vital because if we don't get original sin right, we will not get the cross right, the resurrection, our sins, and the forgiveness that we have as one for us. So it's important for us to pay attention. So to open up your book of Concord and open up your Bibles and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Apology, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor Eli Lietzow of Wheat Ridge Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Pastor Lietzow, welcome to Concord Matters. Well, thank you for having me. It's a, a, an honor and a privilege uh, to be here. Absolutely. First time. Uh, doing this, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. Original Sin, it's it's uh, awesome. It's a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So <laughs> as you join us together the first time here, Pastor, uh, uh, tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Wheat Ridge. Yeah, so uh, I've been here uh, at Wheat Ridge Evangelical Luther Church in Wheat Ridge, Colorado for uh, uh, about four and a half years. Uh, I came uh, uh, about nine months before uh, COVID uh, made the world go crazy. So that was a, a little interesting trying to, uh, uh, you're not quite used to the congregation yet, and then everything just goes crazy. So I think uh, we're finally kind of uh, pulling out of that a little bit, and things are getting, I guess, maybe normal if there's ever such a thing as normal in the ministry. Um, let's see what else. Uh, in the next couple of years, uh, there's a uh, the Lutheran Hospital which is right next to our uh, our facility here, is closing down. And so uh, that whole area is going to basically turn into a residential area. So in the next 10 years or so, we were just going to be surrounded by brand new housings with an influx of, of tons of people. So that's really exciting to see. And, and so we're kind of just waiting to see how that's all going to play out. But the Saints here are, are awesome. They take care of their pasture. Um, and they're phenomenal. Uh, just real quick, as far as my family goes, I have a wonderful, uh, a patient, uh, beautiful wife, Joy. I've uh, been married to her for 23 years. Uh, and I've got four kids, uh, Emmaus, Nazareth, Arimathea, and Salem. Well, thanks be to God, Pastor. Uh, and just a reminder to our listeners to uh, pray for the people at Wheat Ridge as they have new opportunities to witness, and also the grieving that I'm guaranteed will happen when a hospital closes. But also pay for our families. Uh, we, we name off the, our children's names, and we're reminded of the gift of family, and pray that uh, our family would not only uh, be healthy, but that they would stay with Christ and his eternal gifts. So, Pastor, as we are, let's dig into this. We have a lot to cover today. And so we are looking yeah. at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on page 74 of the reader's edition of the Book of Concord. And we are digging into the theology. So we are on Article 1, God. And this is very short for good reason. 
um, because they were kind of in agreement. So we're going to read the note, and then we're going to read the confession. So Article 1 on page 74. Article 1. Luther's, Lutherans clearly identified themselves with the historic church of all times and places by confessing the biblical doctrine of the Holy Trinity and by rejecting the teachings of those who deny the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian creeds. Our adversaries approve Article 1 of our confession, in which we declare that we believe and teach that there is one divide, divine, undivided essence, yet there are three distinct persons of the same divine essence and co-eternal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have always taught and defended this article. We believe that it has a sure and firm testimonies in Holy Scripture that cannot be overthrown. We constantly affirm that those thinking otherwise are outside Christ's church, are idolaters, and insult God. Pastor, as we look at this uh, doctrine, the Roman Catholic Church and the Concordians, the Reformers, Melanchthon specifically writing this, we're in agreement. Anything you want to highlight? You know, I, not really. I mean, not not at this this first one. Uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of uh, straightforward. Um, and and uh, I think next time you're going to be touching on uh, Article Three as well uh, uh, on uh, the Son of God or, or Christ. And that's straightforward as as well. It's it's interesting. I, I think those two articles are the the only ones in the Apology that actually happen to be shorter than in the actual Augsburg Confession. And obviously the reason for that is the Augsburg Confession is, is first and foremost uh, stating uh, what it is uh, that the Reformers believe. So it's uh, stating their doctrine. Um, and then the apology later on is the apology. It's, it's the defense of their stance. Well, there's no reason to have a, a long, drawn-out defense of your stance against your opponents if you're in agreement with things. So sometimes it's actually nice just to to say, "Hey, we've we've actually found common ground somewhere, uh, and maybe we can start there." And and just because you're my uh, you're my opponent, uh, I'm not going to try and find something nitpicky to argue about here. Uh, let's just uh, uh, give thanks to our Lord that that we found common ground at least on on the Trinity. <laughs> I'm into that, and as we read it, I think it's important for you, our listeners, as Pastor said so well, that we have commonality with this, with all Christians, um, uh, especially those who are creedal, um, who confess the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian Creed. And I love the language, which I think isn't good for us to have on our lips when someone asks questions about the Trinity, especially I would say our young people today, um, at all ages, really, but our young people, is how are they able to explain the Trinity or proclaim the Trinity to people? So when it says, we believe and teach that there is one divine essence, undivided, one divine, undivided essence. Yet there are three distinct persons of the same divine essence and co-eternal. So not to say that you're going to be sitting around the campfire with your buddies having a having a beer or something and say, oh, by the way, one divided, uh, one divine, undivided essence is the triune God and it's going to get you real far. But to be able to speak that language of saying, yeah, we believe in one God. Um, in three divine, a divine undivided essence, something along those lines that's important. Pastor, in our culture today, any, any thoughts you have for our listeners and how they can clearly confess the Trinity? Well, I, uh, I, I would say the, the creeds are, are the easiest and, and best things to do. I remember uh, having a professor who, uh, uh, Professor Quill, uh, and he spent a lot of time doing uh, mission stuff. And uh, he told me, uh, well, he told a class one time that uh, one of his go-to moves, if, if you will, every single time people are asking him what it is he believes or what it is uh, uh, that uh, Christianity is, he just, he just recites the, uh, the uh, Apostles' Creed. And, and it's, it's simple. It stands the test of time. It speaks the, uh, the, the basic fundamental uh, doctrinal truths of, of who we are and what it is we believe and who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, so to, to have that on our lips is, is great, uh, to have that memorized and be able to say, and then we can actually expound upon it if, if we've got some people uh, questioning some, some of the things. 
Well, and that's a reminder to our listeners that when you confess the creed on Sunday morning, uh, it's also something that you take with you as you move forward. So uh, we'll, we'll leave that to right. your own study for everybody. Go back to your uh, Apostles' Creed, your Nicene Creed, and uh, Dr. Quill's words are very well received. So let's move on. I just wanted to do one other thing. Uh, uh, what's interesting, I think, also is... is uh, we should probably be good at or, or know uh, that I think we're going to have to define a lot of terms uh, in today's day and age as well. Um, and so when we just speak of God and we, we come up to somebody who says, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in God, too. Oh, I believe in Jesus. So do I. Uh, the Mormons say will we'll say all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but they have different definitions for all of those things. So maybe just to kind of keep on our mind, too, is... Uh, Sometimes we're going to be speaking with people and we're going to be using the same language, but we're going to have different terms. And that actually comes up in in Article 2 here of of, uh, um, the apology here on original sin. So defining those terms is is very important. Well, may the Holy Spirit help us (laughs) because that can be difficult to (laughs) do. Absolutely. So I invite you, our listeners, to turn to page 76. As we look at Article Two, now Article Two is quite long. I don't, I don't believe that we'll necessarily be, necessarily be able to read all of this. There's quite a bit here, but the main components of it we will definitely cover as we cover and what the Pastor said some very important terms that we have to make sure we have defined and what they were arguing um, for, proclaiming, and also what they were against. So I'm ready to get to Article Two. How about you, Pastor? Yeah, I'm ready too. Um... All right, let's do it. Article 2, page 76. No, the note from Original Sin. By the 16th century, Roman theologians had to come to view Original Sin merely as a weakness in human nature. The scriptures, however, teach that Original Sin is the absence of original righteousness and the root cause of all sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. Original Sin damns a person to hell. The Bible asserts, so clear definitions were needed. Rome sought some way to preserve mankind's ability to choose God's grace and cooperate with it. So it regarded concupiscence, the powerfully strong tendency in us, to sin, not as sin, but as mere tinder, Latin fomes, which could ignite into sinful behavior. The Bible, as Lutherans were concerned to prove, also names our sin, sin, our inborn tendency to sin. Article 2 of the Apology is essential for understanding what follows in Articles 3 and 4. Melanchthon points out the key comforting truth of God's Word. In Christ, God removes the condemnation of all sin, including concupiscence. He does so by forgiving us our sins through Christ's blood and by applying to us Christ's righteousness, holiness, and innocence. So while in this life sin remains, The Holy Spirit continually brings it under check, beats it down and kills it, and works within us to increase and strengthen our faith in God and to love our neighbor. As we see in, um, I encourage you, our listeners, to look at Augsburg Confession Article 2, which also speaks to this, um, and other parts of the confessions as well. Pastor, there was quite a bit going on in these days of original sin, and I would say it's important for us today. How do you want to start us off before we dig in? I, well, first, I think just a, a, an interesting note um, that in the Augsburg Confession and uh, the Apology itself, uh, I, I like to see that I think it, I find it curious, I guess, uh, the order of the articles. Right. So you've got God, which that makes sense. You, you're going to start there. And uh, just as somebody coming in completely um, uneducated about about the, the matter. One would think that number two is going to be Jesus, right? It's going to be the Son of God. It's going to be Christ. You would think that's number two, but that's number three. And you sit there and you say, well, why is that number three? And then why is original sin number two? Well, if you want to speak correctly about Christ, then you have to speak correctly about uh, his purpose and what he's actually done and accomplished for us. And the only way to do that is to have a correct understanding of, of our sinful nature. And original sin is, is uh, the, the whole starting point of that. So if we don't have that, then speaking of Christ and, and, and speaking of what he's done is kind of, is kind of pointless and kind of worthless. 
And actually, in this article, that's part of what the reformers, Melanchthon, will 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 point out, kind of the hypocrisy of uh, of some of the scholastics and some of uh, Rome here um, and the opponents, basically saying. Uh, you guys are diminishing uh, original sin in such a way that uh, when when we speak rationally about it, uh, what's the need for Christ at the end of the day then? And we hear this in Scripture. It's more in reference to the resurrection. But we could use it this way. If we are not, we, if we don't have original sin, meaning we have no hope <laughs> of getting anywhere without without Christ because of our sinfulness, because in, in, in our sins we are dead, then Christ died for no purpose. And so that's right. the same kind of deal. If Christ died and, and we, have, uh, um, we have no sin, well, then it's just a uh, martyrdom or a social justice issue, which you hear today, as opposed to, I have no hope without the cross. Any other observations from today's culture why this is important? Well, or or uh, Jesus just becomes uh, kind of a, a really good example for us, right? And so he's he's something uh, for us to follow. Uh, and so, okay, let's follow uh, his uh, the ways in which he loved everybody, uh, and then so much so that maybe we too can uh, can be a sacrifice, right? Let's, let's put our own bodies on the line here. Uh, again, all of this just being kind of a moral example. But that's, again, the rational uh, uh, landing place. If original sin isn't as damning as it actually is, and our sinful nature isn't corrupted unto death and eternal punishment, then again, what's the purpose of Christ? He ceases to be a savior. And he really is just, like he said, a social justice warrior, or he's an example, or he's, or he's a great story, or I, I don't know. But he's anything but a savior. And, and this is what's interesting then, because when you take a look at um, when Rome, right, they answered the, uh, the Augsburg Confession with their pontifical confutation, which means they just took uh, each, each article that we wrote, and then they wrote like three paragraphs on it. And they're all kind of, they're, they're pretty weak, actually, when you read them. Uh, but in the, the first one on God, they basically say we're in agreement and uh, the, the Lutherans are uh, just spouting the creeds, which is great. And that's what they do on the third one on Christ, too. And interestingly enough, um, they try and do that with the second one here. But my, my contention is because they get original sin wrong, uh, then they can say that we're in agreement on Christ, but we're not actually in agreement on Christ. Mm. And I believe your your next episode is going to show this because as simple as, as number three is, what's the next one following number three? It's justification. Justification is the thing that the whole church uh, stands or falls upon, and it is the longest uh, uh it's the longest article in the Augsburg Confession, and it's the longest article in the Apology. It takes forever to read. <laughs> so they they don't if they don't understand original sin, then they don't actually understand Christ, and then they certainly mess up uh, justification. And it's not just Rome that we're talking about. We're talking about anybody. It, these things are dominoes. If we don't have a correct understanding of our utter and complete uh, uh, depravity. Um, then we're going to lose Christ, we're going to lose justification, we're going to lose everything. Well, we don't want that. So let's dig in to original sin on page 76. <laughs> and since we have quite a bit to cover, uh, I'll be reading paragraphs one through four. So hold on tight, as Pastor said so well, it is good for us to be clear and concise in understanding the issues, um, not only for the sake of our own uh, uh, conscience, but for the sake of salvation of all people. So uh, page, uh, page 76, paragraph 1. The adversaries approve Article 2, Original Sin, but in such a way that they actually condemn our definition of original sin, which we give in passing. Here, right at the outset, Your Majesty will discover that the Confutations writers were lacking only judgment, not only judgment, but also honesty. We simply wanted to mention the things that original sin includes. But these men, by creating a misleading interpretation, cleverly twist a statement that in itself contains nothing wrong. So they say, to lack fear of God and to lack faith is actual guilt. Therefore, they deny it is original sin. 
Clearly, these sorts of subtleties start in the schools, not in the emperor's council. Even though such sophistry can be easily refuted, we ask that the Augsburg Confession in German be examined, so that all good people will understand that we do not teach anything absurd in this matter. This will this will free us from suspicion from teaching something new. For there it is written, It is further taught that since Adam's fall, all human beings who are naturally conceived are born in sin. From their mother's womb, they are filled with evil desire and the inclination toward evil. By nature, they have no true fear of God and no true faith in God. As this passage demonstrates, we teach that those who are born according to the fleshy nature have concupiscence. This means people not only lack fear and trust in God, but also do not even have the power or gifts to produce fear and trust in God. What fault can be found with this point? Indeed, we think we have explained and defended ourselves well enough to good men. For in this sense, the Latin description denies to nature the ability, gifts, and energy to produce fear and trust in God. In adults, we deny the ability actually to do anything truly good. So when we mention concupiscence, we understand not only the acts or fruit, but also the constant inclination of the nature. Now we will see more fully how our description agrees with the usual and ancient definition. First, we must show why we prefer to use these words in this place. In their schools, the adversaries confess that the material, as they call it, original sin is concupiscence. We should not have passed by this fact in framing our definition, precisely because some of our are offering philosophical speculations in a way that is not appropriate for teachers of religion. Now, Pastor, this can be something where you hits hits the ears and you're like, it sounds different, but is it different? Now I'm confused. How would you break this down, let's say, for simpletons like myself or confirmation students as they talk about the issues of those days? Yeah, I think reading the uh or reading and, and listening to to the apology here can be a little bit confusing because what Melanchthon's actually doing is he's referring again back to that confutation. He's referring to a, a document that that Rome put forward, right? So when he's got things in quotation marks or, or whatever, it's it's actually that document, which I think you could do a, a quick if you wanted to, you can do a quick Google search on that and 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 find a place where you can find the pontifical confutation of the Augsburg con, uh, confession. And so then you can actually read what they're saying and what they have issues with. And, and the crazy thing is they start, Rome starts uh, uh, their, uh, their re rebuttal to article two saying, yeah, in regards to original sin, we're all in agreement. We agree 100% with what they say until or or except uh when they say this and except when they say this and we're going to change the definition but after we change the definition and despite these two things we're in full agreement right and so actually they're not in full agreement at, at, at all with us uh, and i'm not even sure why they why they say as as much so what uh what melanchthon's starting off here uh, is is something that they put in their confutation, something that they put in their their response, and it's it's they're actually denying one hundred percent what we have put forward in regards to what original sin is, and so they're basically saying, uh, let, let me read it to you. This is this is what they say in their confutation. But the declaration of the article that original sin is that men are born without the fear of God and without trust in God is to be entirely rejected, since it is manifest to every Christian that to be without the fear of God and without the trust of God is rather the actual guilt of an adult rather than the offense of a recently born infant. And so what they're saying is to have lack of fear and trust in God, only, uh, only adults can really have that. Um, so that can't be part of this original sin. And they're using just rational logic for that, right? They're, they're trying to bring rationalism into this and saying, well, rationally speaking, little babies who can't think 
certainly could not be denying the existence of God or, or anything like that. And so we can't put that on them. The only people who can do that is, is you know, older kids, teenagers, adults, and those are the ones, right? And so uh, certainly uh, lack of knowledge of God and fear of God, certainly that can't be original sin because you can't do that until you're an adult. And that's the that's where they're they're starting right away with with rational logic, um, and rational logic uh, sounds great um, until you're dealing with the mysteries of God. Um, rational logic will always fall short, and then that's why, uh, even though God has given us our reason and all of our senses, um, when it comes to things of the mysteries, when it comes to things of uh, sin and what needs to be done with it, when it comes to things of the gospel, we have to stand in the word of God because the word of God is going to, it's going to sound weird to our ears and our logic is going to want to take us somewhere else. Our logic is going to want to take us to a place where it's, it's one of two places for them. Either uh, original sin isn't as bad as, uh, as God says, or, and, or there's something that we can do about it. There's, there's a way that we can help this out. I look forward to hearing more about that, but we need to take our break here, Pastor. We are studying the Trinity and original sin as confessed in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and we will be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying the Trinity and original sin according to Scripture and confessed in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Eli Lietzow of Wheat Ridge Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Now, Pastor, you said something very important for us as we consider what's happening is a lot of times people and culture will say, well, yeah, a child cannot truly understand, so they don't have a chance. But when you become older, you have at least a slight chance as you're going through this. And so when we speak of the word concupiscence, and we speak about faith and, and dead in our sins, um, you made it very clear what we actually believe. Can you rehash that for us? Because that is vital for when we talk about original sin. Yeah, yeah. I and and I think some of these these terms might get a little bit confused into concupiscence and original sin and, and, and original guilt and all of this sort of stuff. Um, so I think just for us and for our purposes, I think uh, kind of maybe thinking about them all kind of the same sort of thing, even though theologians will 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 nitpick. But for the layman, this kind of think about them all as the same sort of thing where or at least building off each other, right? So this concupiscence is is uh, 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 this wicked desire. Sometimes we call it the inclination to sin, right? Um, and uh, later on, and I don't even know if we're going to get there, but but later on in the apology, um, there, uh, uh, Melanchthon will talk about this concupiscence that it came rushing in when we lost the image of God, right? And so at the fall... Uh, we lost the image of God, and, and what is the image of God except the, the full knowledge of Him, the fear, full fear of Him, and the full trust of Him? As we as we confess in in the small catechism and uh, uh, the explanation of the, the first uh, uh, the first commandment, there, right? Uh, and so, uh, when we lose the, the the full image of God there, because we no longer uh, know, fear, love, or trust Him above all things, um, then uh, then we. Uh, uh, what came rushing in is this concupiscence. So we no longer uh, have this desire for God, but we have to, this desire for evil things. And the reformers will say, Luther, Melanchthon, everybody else will say, that is, that 
that inclination, that is sin itself. Um, it's not just guilt. It's not just a, a, a byproduct of sin. That is sin. So that when when we have this uh, natural inclination uh, against God, as opposed to this uh, uh, this original righteousness, but that we have this original unrighteousness, um, that's where we've got to be. That's where we start off. And Rome and and pretty much everyone else, uh, and again, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but pretty much everyone else, they'll say, well, no, your thoughts and your desires, certain, you can't control those. So we can't call those things sin. And it's not until you actually understand things and maybe act upon them that uh, you can actually be held accountable. Uh, but that's not the way in which our, our, our Lord speaks. Well, that definitely clarifies the simplicity of it because we can make up a lot of terms to speak about it, but it, it's very clear that we have no chance without the grace of God, the Holy Spirit coming, you know, changing our hearts and with Christ dying on the cross, he takes away all of those things, um, including our concupiscence, to give us his righteousness. And so it really is, you are dead, and we need a resurrection. So this is something that really rings true in this whole confession. Um, Pastor, I want to, there's a very important paragraphs here, I would say five through 11 or so, but I want to make sure, do you have anything else you wanted to highlight before we move on? Yeah, uh, just real quick. Uh, analogies uh, always fall short, but I think maybe a, a good analogy uh, that that might help with this, or a good visual aid that might help with this, is uh, uh, Rome, and I think everybody else kind of uh, uh, thinks of think of a tomato, right? And that's us, right? So we're this tomato, and Rome kind of thinks of um, uh, original sin as a blemish, kind of as a spot on it, right? Or, or maybe even think of it this way. Uh, we can we can get kind of real gross and just think of it a, a, a tomato covered in manure, right? So it's completely unappealing. Nobody likes it. Everybody looks at it and says, oh, that's gross. But what can you do with a tomato that's completely covered in manure? You can you can wash off the manure, right? And then the tomato's fine. You clean it really good and and, and everything's fine. I mean, that's what happens to all our vegetables, right? Um, but, uh, the, the way in which the, in which the Lutherans view it, and I, I would say scripturally speaking is that, uh, you've got a tomato that's not covered in, in manure. You've got a tomato that's turned rotten, right? And so it's still a tomato, but it's rotten to the core. And this is the disease. We use this disease language. Original sin and concupiscence is a disease in us. And so again, think of your body being diseased, right? By nature, you're still who you are, but also your body is completely diseased and warped and broken and fallen. And there's nothing you can do about it, right? You need something outside of you to, to fix it. That's the, that is the utter depravity of original sin. And, and we have to get there to fully understand uh, who Christ is and what he's done for us. That's great. The problem is I don't like tomatoes, so I wouldn't want one even if it was uh, what you said, but that's another conversation. Okay, we are on page 77, and let's continue on. Very important distinctions that the Concordians make as we look at original sin. Paragraph 5. Some of them claim that original sin is not a depravity or corruption in human nature, but only a, only servitude or a condition of mortality. They say that in it is not inherent in our nature, but is rather a burden put on us as a result of Adam's sin. Not that we have any such depravity of our own. Besides, they add that no one is condemned to eternal death on account of original sin, just as a child born of a slave woman becomes a slave not as a result of any personal fault, but as a result of his mother's condition. To show that this impious opinion is displeasing to us, we use the word concupiscence. With the best intention, we have explained this term as diseases and said that human nature of human being is born corrupt and full of faults. We have not only used the word concupiscence, but we have said also, also said that the fear of God and the faith are lacking. 
We added this comment because the scholastic teachers do not understand the definition of original sin well enough. They take what they receive from the fathers and extend the definition of original sin. They argue that the evil inclination is a quality like a blemish on the body. With their usual folly, they ask whether this quality is caused from the contagiousness of the apple or from the breath of the serpent, and whether medicines can cure the condition. They suppress the main point with such questions. So when they talk about original sin, they do not mention the more serious faults of human nature, such as ignorance of God, contempt for God, total lack of fear of God, and confidence in God, hatred of God's judgment, fleeing from God when he judges us, anger toward God, despairing of God's grace, putting trust in things of this world, and so forth. The scholastics do not notice all these diseases that are totally contrary to God's law. They even say that human nature is entirely incapable of loving God above all things and fulfilling God's commandments according to the substance of the act. These diseases are totally contrary to God's law, but the scholastics do not notice them. They do not even realize that they are contradicting themselves. For what else is being able by one's own strength to love God above all things and to fulfill his commandments except original righteousness? If human nature is so strong that it is able on its own to love God above all things, as the scholastics confidently affirm, what then is original sin? Why do we need Christ's grace if we could be justified as a result of our own righteousness? Why do we need the Holy Spirit if we are strong enough on our own to love God above all things? and fulfill God's commandments. Is there anyone who does not realize that our adversaries' ideas are absurd? I'm going to stop there just because I like how they end the question. <laughs> so this whole list of human faults are not even mentioned by the adversaries. So break this down for us. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of amazing. Going all the way back to like uh, paragraphs five and six, what you said there, and, and I think we kind of, we kind of maybe even gloss over this here because they're making this uh, this contention. They're making this statement of fact, right? Um, uh, they say, besides, they uh, they add that no one is condemned to eternal death on account of original sin, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. what does uh, extrapolate that out? And this is the thing that that Melanchthon and the reformers will kind of make fun of uh, the scholastics, as they call them, and their opponents, because the scholastics are trying to use this rational logic, but then they won't even play the rational logic out to its end, right? And so, if no one is condemned because of original sin, then Christ didn't take that original sin to the cross. That's that's where you have to play it out, right? So now we're speaking of sin that Christ didn't have to die for. And then you're also speaking of uh, individuals whom Christ did not have to die for. Because think about it. If no one is condemned for original sin, and now you've got this infant, and let's just, let's just make it real simple, infant in the womb that unfortunately uh, uh, um, uh, dies, right? Well, what the what Rome is saying here is that Christ did not have to die for that child. That child has some form of original righteousness inherent in him that uh, made sure that he didn't need a savior. That's the craziness of all of this, is that when you when you diminish original sin and you you lower it to to what Rome has uh, back then, and I, I'll, I'll say probably still does at, at this point as well. And what most of us are comfortable of talking about original sin, when we lower it uh, so much and don't hold it to uh, to the, uh, uh, the the vastness of God's law and what God says it is, uh, then we've got a Christ who isn't a Christ for everyone because he doesn't need to be because some people are inherently righteous over and above others because they just happened to die before they could be held accountable for sin. That's completely anti-scriptural. And as we look at this, it is another, another reality is we do this not only with a child in the womb, but we also do it with somebody who maybe is elderly. So when I was in my first parish in Wisconsin, there was a previous pastor at my congregation that was going to go do a communion visit to a shut-in. 
And when he went to do the visit, he saw one of the members on the way and he said, oh, I'm going to go see so-and-so. And the member says, oh, well, how could she sin? She's a shut-in. She doesn't ever leave her room. And so there's right. this understanding of, okay, well, th- it's not that's not their fault they're sinning. I mean, they're old. How could you say they're sinners? You know, and same with a little baby. I mean, you you have four children. I have four children. I mean, they're cooing and calling and and I mean, everyone's so happy. There's no way there's sin there. So then all of a sudden you ask, well, wait a second, you know, then how does this all fit together? Which is why they're very clear. All people <laughs> have no chance and they're dead in their sins. Right. No question about it. Because you start making those. And I think that's a great, great point for us is saying, if you're starting to make an asterisk on everybody, then how do you know you're part of the died for or the ones who have Christ's righteousness? Um, any thoughts or pastoral implications that you've experienced as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've had that um, as well. Or or uh, those who have some sort of uh, um, memory loss or dementia, right? So now, uh, oh, it's not their fault. They don't know what they're doing. And, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, temporally speaking, I think we can say that. Um, but then does that, or, or oh, I love this, uh, I, I've had before, right? Um, when when we get older and, and we, our memory starts going and, and we're not sure where we're at or who we're talking to, um, so then uh, they don't need pastoral visits then because they don't know that their pastors come to visit right. them. It's like, are, are, are you, are you kidding me? Like this, okay. this person, uh, uh, temporally speaking is clearly showing, uh, the effects of sin in their life and the fallen broken body, uh, uh, more than, than most because they don't even have their faculties who, who needs Christ for them right there, uh, uh more, <laughs> I mean, we all do, but it's like, how can you make an argument saying this individual, doesn't need to have the uh, the the gospel proclaimed to them just because they can't they can't uh, uh, understand who's speaking to them. Ugh. It's crazy. Well, Lord have mercy because as we speak about the whole list from paragraph eight through ten, it is one of those they leave no room to wiggle ourselves into this salvation narrative. They leave no room and and brings me to my knees as I hear it. Um, once again, it says, uh, such as ignorance of God, contempt for God, total lack of fear of God, confidence in God, hatred of God, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what's crazy is they probably could have added more because it ends with and so forth. But this whole list, they're trying to make sure that if you're trying to put yourself in the equation and act as if you're not dead in sin, then once again, Christ died for no purpose. That this this Christ, two natures of Christ, this justification, which they write extensively on, there's no reason for us to talk about this anymore if we think we still have a chance. Uh, Pastor, anything else you want to highlight in those uh, paragraphs? There's a lot here to unpack. It's beautiful. Oh, I, I mean, we could we could do four different episodes on on just on just this. So, I mean, if. It, We've got a lot to go, so if we want to keep going in the short amount of time, I'll, I'll I'll give you license to do so. We can we can continue on. Wonderful. What I'm going to actually do is I'm going to skip with your uh, not permission, but with your uh, help, just skip to page seventy nine. Um, that is when we get to paragraph thirty two, and where they talk a little bit about the differences. And they talk a little bit about, this is where we agree, this is where we disagree. I think that kind of captures where we are. And I do encourage you, our listeners, to read this whole thing. Um, it, 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 you feel like you're kind of on a roller coaster at times. You feel like you're going in circles. But it definitely brings out the complexities, but also the beautiful simplicity of this doctrine. So, uh, paragraph 32. When it comes to original sin, we hold nothing different from either Scripture or the Church Catholic. Rather, we cleanse from corruptions and restore to light the most important declarations of Scripture and the Fathers, which have been covered over by the sophistry and controversies of the theologians of our day. It is more than clear that modern theologians do not notice what the Fathers mean when they speak of a defect. The knowledge of original sin is absolutely necessary. The magnitude of Christ's grace cannot be understood unless our diseases are recognized. Christ says in Matthew 9 and Mark 2, those who are well have no need for a physician. The entire notion that a person is righteous is mere hypocrisy before God. 
we must acknowledge that our heart is, by nature, destitute of fear, love, and confidence in God. For this reason, the prophet Jeremiah says, After I was instructed, I slapped my thighs. I was ashamed and I was confounded. Likewise, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars, as Psalm 116. That is, they do not think correctly about God. Here, our adversaries attack Martin Luther because he wrote that original sin remains after baptism. They add this to the point was condemned by Leo X, but his imperial majesty will discover a clear slander on this point. Our adversaries know in what sense Luther intended this remark that original sin remains after baptism. Luther always writes that baptism removes the guilt of original sin. However, the material, as they call it, of sin, concupiscence, remains. He also adds that the Holy Spirit given through baptism begins to put to death the concupiscence and begins to create new movements within a person. Augustine speaks in the same way when he says, Sin is forgiven in baptism, not in such a way that it no longer exists, but so that, but so that it is not charged. Here he confesses openly that sin exists. It remains, although it's not counted against us any longer. I really wanted to get into baptism in this whole reality because, um, well, how many times do people have a child and they're going to wait to have baptism so Aunt Millie can show up a little bit later without realizing this child needs Christ? Let's give them Christ. And that's one thing that we tend to look at original sin in a... Um, in a in, in perfect sense as well. Any thoughts as Martin Luther speaks or as they speak about the differences? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, yeah, it's it's one. Of, I think almost every single Lutheran pastor. It's it's one of their uh, their most frustrating things is is uh, uh, people waiting to get their child baptized. If, if baptism does what we confess it does, and which all members have have stood before man and God and says, I believe this is what baptism does. I, it just boggles my mind why we would want to withhold that from our child for any longer than we have to. It's just, it's just, this is a gift. It's pure gift. Why would we, why would we want to say this is the greatest gift my child could have and I can't wait to give it to him in six months. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, just encouragement to our listeners to take advantage. Um, when you, Meet somebody, I know many pastors, uh, I've done it myself, where a child is born, you say, when's a baptism? Right. Um, and you just ask those questions as a, as a gentle exhortation, with joy, of course, of the many gifts that are given. And what is shocking to people, and I think this was a, an issue in those days, is, okay, you receive all of that. Um, uh, you receive uh, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, uh, the mark that is given to us in baptism, but yet sin remains until our final breath. Uh, Pastor, that can be kind of a downer, I would say. And what would you say when we talk about original sin? Where's the hope? We have about two, eh, we have about three minutes left in our time, okay. maybe a little bit more. Well, um, okay. talk about where's the hope as we look at original sin? Yeah, so this is where, uh, again, if, if you if you want to pull out the, the confutation and look that up online, this is the last part of their of their article against the Augsburg Confession. And, and this is where you hear them actually talking against Luther. Um, and again, they're 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 misrepresenting a little bit of what he's saying, and and they're not understanding it fully. I think what they're doing, and and what uh, it, we're at risk of doing, is to deny the 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 simultaneously saint and sinner that we are at the same exact time. And this is how Paul will talk about it in Romans, and and, and it's all over Scripture. The the fact that yes, in Christ. In our baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ, we are indeed made righteous. We are 100% uh, uh, righteous and a saint, as, as we, we call it. Uh, but at the same point in time, in this fallen world and my sinful flesh that I still have, that is not going to be taken away until uh, the day in which our Lord uh, uh, kills us to the end and then raises us to new, new life, um, this sinful flesh of mine, which has... A, a wicked desire towards evil and against God is constantly going to rage against the good that my Lord has actually created in me. And so I have this, this, this battle within, within me. The, the comfort is first and foremost, let's acknowledge that. And then secondly, the comfort and the, the, the most comforting thing is, but in your baptism, that uh, old Adam has been drowned. 
he is dead. And yes, he he tries to climb himself out of the grave every single day, probably multiple times a day. And yet your baptism still stands. Those waters are not a one-time thing. They're a forever thing. And so those waters constantly drown that old Adam, that that sinner within that continually tries to come uh, and and uh, uh, do the things that that uh, that our Lord uh, despises and that we despise as well. With about a minute left in our time, Pastor, how would you summarize original sin and uh, well, confess Christ for our listeners? Uh, the summary of original sin is that it is the complete and utter depravity of our nature. It is sin. It is it is what we've inherited, but then it's ours and it's our guilt, um, and it's it's our. Uh, the nature of us uh, desires wickedness and it desires things that are not God. And in fact, there's no way in and of ourselves that we can even uh, uh, attain God or even desire to attain God. Uh, And then that's why next week you're going to hear about Christ and you're going to hear about justification. It's pure gospel, 100% that all of this, because of how damning original sin is, uh, all of it, every single last drop has to be Christ for you. And he does it all and gives it all to you. Reverend Eli Lietzow, Wheat Ridge Evangelical Lutheran Church in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, confessing the truth of our triune God and original sin. Original sin is not just a small defect, like a little manure on a tomato, as we learned today, but it is a complete and utter death that needs a resurrection in our Lord Jesus. And thanks be to God, he gives it. Pastor Lietzow, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. It was an honor. And to our, to our listeners, keep fighting the good fight. Receive the gifts of Christ. Continue to remember your baptism. Receive the Lord's Supper and continue to move forward in Christ. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner, and thank you for joining us. And the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.